back to another episode of Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's uh, Sean, Tony, and Scott, as usual. Hello. Hello. And, and Sabrina. Sabrina. And Sabrina is with us today. <laughs> uh, but we also have another special guest, uh, a very talented man, one of a, our favorite people. Yes, a two-timer now. A two-timer now, uh, Andrew Johnson. Thanks for having me back, guys. You're welcome. welcome. So Despite your namesake as a, the, the worst president of all time. <laughs> well, we've got one in the running. Yeah, we have one, yeah, but that's well, still... Well, you know, Andrew, it's been so long since you've been on. We're just really happy to have you back. Well, I'm excited to talk about this terrible movie that yeah. you hey, made us watch. Hey, I stand corrected. This is a great movie. This movie is bonkers it's, in the best possible way. That's exactly way. right. It's so bad, it's good. That's an excellent description, and for those wondering what we're talking about, it's, it's going to be... The 1992 critically acclaimed, prestigious, <laughs> award-winning <B>. film, <laughs> Basic Instinct. <laughs> no, none of that's true, except for it was a film from 1992. Uh, and it is prestigious, and we are talking about it today. It is, it is. It's a very prestigious, you know, significant film. Uh, I had, oddly enough, I'm going to let you guys talk about it first, because I know that you guys have a background with this. I will just say this is my first time actually watching this film. Wow. So we can come around, but I'll let you know when I first heard of it. Have you mentioned what the movie is yet? Well, yeah. Basic Instinct. Oh, Basic Instinct. Yeah. We're called, uh, also known as B.I. B.I. B.I., yeah. So yes, the title is in there, so. Yeah. Um, Andrew, take so it away, son. Well, oh, well, the first time I saw this movie, um, I was like eight. What? And my <laughs> wait a second. Yeah. So my parents, um, when they were going to like watch an R movie, they like there were two doors to the family room that they would close after my brother and I would go to bed theoretically, but we would then sneak down and then watch it through like a crack in the door. So I was like eight years old watching Sharon Stone and seeing her vagina, and then the the like I've done this for several movies. I saw the Robo, RoboCop, also from Paul Verhoeven, um, Silence of the Lambs, which is why that movie terrifies me to this day. But the jig ended because of this movie. Because the next morning, I asked my mother, not knowing what any of these words meant, if she ever fucked while she was on cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Which and is always a great thing to ask your mom anyway, when, right? Again, yeah, when yeah. You, <laughs> like, uh, adults must ask this question to each yeah, other. That's true. So that's the first time I've seen this movie, and I've seen it several times since. <laughs> well, um, Roger Ebert gave it two stars. <laughs> I'd like to add that they were whole stars. <laughs> the whole, um, there's no half. On March 10th, 1992, he gave it two stars. He did. And I will say with Ebert's review, I agree with the words, though, because if you read it, he basically says this movie is well-crafted for what it is. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just a wind-up machine to jerk us around, is yeah. what he says. So, okay, this is really funny, because, okay, here's my personality, guys. And the Wheeler brothers probably know this about me, but for my listeners and for even Andrew, <laughs> when I find something I like, I get a little obsessed with it. Like if I see something, like a movie or a TV show, and I and I just get really blown away by it, I'm, I just get so involved in that world, and, and it's like the best thing, and I'm just like living it for you know, a couple weeks, and then I move on. Uh, it's funny because uh, the first time I'd ever seen Basic Instinct was not until this past October. It was like a Saturday night. It was the first, like, Saturday, I think, that was in October. And um, I was home. I didn't, like, for whatever reason, I wasn't going out that night. I thought, you know what? I'm going to pop some popcorn, put a movie on, just relax, enjoy the, the Saturday night in. And I thought, well, let's see what's on the old boob tube. And I, I think I may have been talking about 
basic instinct or it came up in conversation and for some reason it was on my mind. Oh, I think I know why. At that point in time, I was on a Michael Douglas kick. Mm. That's what it was. And so I was pretty much watching his entire uh, repertoire and I thought I had never seen Basic Instinct. And I heard, and I was very familiar, obviously, from pop culture about the Sharon Stone interrogation mm-hmm. scene. And um, I was rummaging around and found it on Amazon Prime. And I thought, huh, let's let's check this out. And so here I am on my couch with my popcorn, watching Basic Instinct. First, like five minutes, the opening credits, you're seeing that beautiful San Francisco, you know, skyline. Um, and you have Jerry Goldsmith's score in the background. And I just was hooked. I was like, I don't know anything about this movie except for Michael Douglas is in it. There's probably going to be some sex scenes. Sharon Stone, <laughs> the interrogation. I was like, the soundtrack's amazing. It instantly made me feel like a modern day Hitchcock movie. It reminded me of um, kind of like Vertigo a little bit, you know. Oh, this is uh, basic Vertigo. Basic Vertigo, <laughs> exactly. But I really love, you know, I, I really just was, I, I, I bought into it immediately. This movie is horny Vertigo. Totally. And maybe I was horny that night. And so <laughs> I really just bought into it. And I just was like, this, I'm really just into this movie right now. This is Cinemax Vertigo, by the way. Yes. This is what this is. Um, I do love, though, because, and, and I'm going to vouch for Tony, I got a text from Tony. This that t- told me how much she wanted to cover this because she goes, "Hey, bud." <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm like, bud. All right, she's calling me bud. This is serious. And, and she goes, "How about doing Basic Instinct for the podcast?" It was a left field for me. It was left field because although I knew that you were on a Michael Douglas kick earlier yeah, this year, because we had talked about that, which I thought was cool because I, I love Michael Douglas too. And uh, I'm like, "Okay, cool. We'll do." I never have never seen it. It's one of those movies I. I Surprisingly, I knew it was out there because in 1992 it was a sensation. Everybody mm-hmm. was talking about it, and that one scene in particular—I mean, it was yeah. on TV verbatim. Not that scene, but mm-hmm. the scene of her being interrogated in that dress—it mm-hmm. was so iconic even then. Yeah. And Sharon Stone was like the water cooler actress of the moment. Like everybody was talking about Sharon Stone being this revelation and steals the picture. How dare they, by the way, not give her above title credits? I know. How da- I know she wasn't that big of a star, yeah. but that movie is hers. Oh, it is. <laughs> Dare they? Yeah. I know. It's because she's a woman. It happens all the time, fellas. Oh, you know that was Michael Douglas making that call. I yeah. don't know. I, if it was him. Totally above the it might have oh, been here, Max. I, I think it was more of a studio thing because yeah. he was not a big, mm-hmm. you know, because I think this was uh, mm-hmm. TriStar. And by the way, I, I always love the unicorn that yes, comes out at the beginning out of the with the music. Did I just want to give a shout out to TriStar yes. Pictures. Great I would logo. too. Do Rest they, in peace, along with Orion and many yeah. others. Do they retroactively, though, put the name above the title? I think uh, on the DVD cover now it might have them both there's, up are, there. There's some movies where the, there would be a, a actor that wasn't famous at the time they did the movie, and they didn't become famous until years later. But now they're famous now, so in order to promote the movie, they'll have a lot of like retroactively putting their names more prominent. I'm sure because now most people associate this movie with Sharon Stone more than any other element, oh. even Michael Douglas. I would say if you pulled people, it. it was like, who's in this movie? She, uh, more people would say Sharon Stone than Michael Douglas. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she was, a, I think, a, an actor who had been around. Like She was in movies like Irre- Irreconcilable Differences, mm-hmm. which was a movie with Shelley Long. <laughs> And Brian O'Neill and Drew Barrymore as a kid. That was like one of her first major roles. That was like 84. And uh, I, uh, her breakout role was probably a Total Recall by the same director, yeah. Paul Verhaven, mm-hmm. the, for the previous year when she was paired with, I think, Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. in, that, in that movie. So obviously having a kind of connection with the director. But 
the main reason I think she got this role is because 12 actresses turned down. It was like 12 or 13 were just like, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, kind of understand yeah. why, you know. Um, I would have done it in a heartbeat. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I think it's an interesting character. I mean, I don't know if I would have been down with, you know, everybody seeing me downstairs, but... Um, I think that was probably off-putting for a lot of actresses. Yeah. 13 right. of them. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we see her every time she changes clothes. Mm-hmm. Basically, we watch her change her clothes. Right. Is that Three. not how you change in front of your friends? <laughs> Am I missing something? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I've got company. I'm going to bring I, everything out. I think, I think she deliberately did. not wear did. any underwear? No, well, it yeah. just gets in the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but summer, it's California. We'll get it's there. hot. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's interesting... Uh, to me, this movie—let's—I'll I'll say this—it's pure schlock, I mean, and I don't mean that necessarily as a negative. It's—it's it's schlock. The dialogue is really like almost taken out of like a connected dots or Mad Libs of of different film noirs. Mm-hmm. Everything's a cliche. I was going to say it's definitely like a film noir. It pays nod to to old Hitchcock movies, I think, and even you know old movies in general because because they try to have that banter between. Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone, you know, that old Hollywood banter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, sty- it's just so stylish, and that's one of the things the I love so much about so it. bad. I mean, it's Joe, bad. Is it, how do you say his last name? Esther Haas? Esther Haas, yeah. Esther Haas. He was on autopilot 100% just looking for that paycheck. He got $3 million for this script. Wow. Unbelievable. I was infuriated. <laughs> I was infuriated when I read that. I think with this, though, it, it feels interchangeable with a lot of movies you would see late at night on HBO mm-hmm. or Cinemax in the early 90s. Yeah. Like, Shannon Tweed should be in this movie, honestly. <laughs> this feels like a movie tailored to her. But somehow it got... Well, Esterhaus had a great reputation because of a movie, Jagged Edge, which he wrote mm-hmm. in 1985. So he had a reputation as being a top screenwriter. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, he wrote some good stuff. Yeah, he did. Uh, but this feels like he was. It feels like maybe his first draft that he ever wrote, and somehow it got passed along and was owned by the studios. But you know what? They were right because the movie made a ton of money, uh, and it's the second biggest moneymaker of Michael Douglas's career after *Fatal Attraction*. Yeah. It's a. It was. It was a big deal. Even so bigger than Wall Street. Pl- sorry. Even bigger than Wall Street, which was a huge mm-hmm. movie. Well, right. Wall Street Two: Money Never Sleeps. That, well, that was after this. <laughs> no one saw that movie. No. no. Apparently, money does sleep. Yeah, it did. Um, it did then. <laughs> no, but yeah. No, well, I think that's also a testament to how good the acting is, perhaps. Maybe if you take a really mediocre script and you, you do the best you can with it. And, and it's funny because you guys are really focused right now on the dialogue. And, and, and maybe this is where. Oh, I wasn't focused differ, on that. Like, <laughs> I, you know, when I watch this movie, the dialogue is like one thing, but, but it's, it's the, the subtleness and, and the interactions between like. Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone, and just the hypersexuality and about this movie, I think is what really kind of like draws me in, and the darkness to it, and the murder, and the mystery, and like the style and intrigue. It's all of that 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 sort of tie me to it. You know, I I don't really remember the script being that bad. It certainly wasn't like remarkable or quote worthy, except for of course. The fuck of the century. <laughs> right. it, it, it's um, bad dialogue. I've always had a near for dialogue. I guess like if I could usually tell the difference between well crafted, like the Coen Brothers, I think write amazing dialogue. So I think I always kind of focus on dialogue a lot when I'm watching a film. Even in this though, but what, what stood out for me with this movie is is that the dialogue is something along the lines of well, they'll go into 
like they're cops and they're going in like we're we're going to be uh, <laughs> we're going to be in t- investigating a murder today. Well, of course you're going to be investigating murder. That's what you do for your job, you know. Uh, it's not layered, you know, beyond beyond the obvious. Yeah. Well, again, the movie starts out. The best part of this movie is the score over at the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Da- Gary Goldsmith yeah. kills it. Yeah, it's but amazing. It starts out with two people having some. Late One night. of us is having sex wrong, and that's all I'm going to say. Is either me or Sharon love. Stone are having because that is that the sex scenes in this movie are bonkers. Mm-hmm. But so she. Well, honey, you also don't have sex with women. Oh, I'm just saying that. Like, never mind. We'll get. <laughs> 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 what, you don't tie him off and kill him? <laughs> when she, uh, the With white she scarves. <laughs> it's insane. So she mm-hmm. straight up kills him. Yes, it's, uh, it's almost uh, robotic it in a way. Like it, it's, yeah. com- it's comically pornographic. Yes, yes. Oh, it, it is because... It, yeah, there's nothing it, subtle about the, this movie. No. And the cops yeah. coming in, and the, guy, the guy's dead body's laying there, and he's... This movie's like, we'll just show everything. Don't worry about it. The sheets are covered in cum. <laughs> I believe that's a line of this movie. They say, no, here's what they say. Looks like he got off before he got off. Because they were talking about the size. Because the, I believe one of the lines, like, because they were sharing those glasses. And I was like, yeah. you're a bad policeman. <laughs> also, when do we talk about the, the huge plot hole of this movie? Um, DNA testing would have said that she was in bed with him. Yeah. That's all. Listen, she, honey, if DNA testing didn't help in the OJ trial, which was two years <laughs> later, they ain't thinking about it in Basic Instinct. <laughs> I w- <laughs> You're right. The things, by the way, that bad <laughs> police officers is all I'm saying. <laughs> the caveat I want to bring up while we get into the details, though, is I think the things we're making fun of and poking fun at in the movie, at least from my perspective, are its strengths in a way. Because this is a movie that I think is aware that it's schlocky. It, mm-hmm. it knows that it's cliched. But it, it leans into it in a fun way. Like, I can't say this is not a watchable film because it's a very watchable movie. It totally is. I've seen this it movie is. so there, many there's, times. Even though uh, it was filmed in 1992, it's very timeless. It doesn't look dated. With the exception of the cars, seriously, it doesn't really look dated. And know, that's, I like that about it. And I, No, no, and it's fun. And there's, like, moments in the movie, like, where someone's trying to do something a little like uh, Michael Douglas turns on the, the the CD player in that one scene and just starts playing music randomly. You never had the opening. Oh, when and they're because the guy's a, a <laughs> former oh, yeah. rock star. He's a, no, he's a record exec or something like that. No, they right? say he was a rock, rock star. star. He's a rock star. He's a rock star. Then opened up some clubs where she was at, and yeah. then she left. She didn't go home with him. She did. <laughs> and the, but they, they they did a lot of cocaine, and he's friends with the mayor. So the fr- the mayor wants to get this solved. Right? Yeah, he does. Like the mayor wants us tied up. But they even say we're gonna <laughs> have to. They they even say it like we're gonna have to take her downtown. Like it's almost every line you've ever heard from every other movie. But I love that he's a rock star because then the mayor turns like, but he's a respectable law-abiding rock star. <laughs> I'm like, well, that makes him boring. <laughs> I have. I, I think this guy's like a Tom Jones type, right? Like he's a guy who had four or five hits in the '60s, is what they're hitting yeah. at. And yeah. I want to yeah. know more about this guy. Like, yeah, that guy. Is I want a prequel for this rock star <laughs> to find out how he got to this point. Uh, his death is is awful too. Like, I mean, that is an awful death at the beginning of this movie when Ice picked the death even between the eyes. Yeah, I mean, really. Yeah, you she know, stabs him in the eyes. Yeah. yeah, the ice pick isn't that great, you know. And, and I just love that there's a female killer. 
You know, she's just so classy with her ice pick. I mean, that's, you know, everyday, <laughs> everyday object. I love it. And then he's bringing it out later, and he just ignores it again. Bad police work. Is an ice pick well, an everyday the whole object? Police, yeah, the ice pick is what she kills folks but with. You could say that in everyday. I don't Back have an then, ice pick. I, it seemed to be very popular. Because <laughs> I got blocks of ice. Yeah, because he was like, because even Michael Douglas had one at his house. Remember? And she came over. and. Well, I, I feel safe now. I don't have an ice pick at my house. Maybe I do. I don't have an ice pick. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll see if this is the last episode <laughs> of Cinema Wheeler Day. Tony well, I, I would say at the beginning, though, it's to me it's obvious that Sharon Stone's the killer from the very first oh, yeah. frame. So where's the mystery? Because I know I it's don't know Sean. Be... Her hair was over her face, so. <laughs> but it was clearly Sharon. Was clearly uh, I mean, Sharon Stone. <laughs> it did not look like a wig. That looked like real hair in the beginning. So. No, I mean it's her hair, but they. Put her hair over. Her I'll face. tell you what, though, there is a certain right amount of doubt because I, 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 I thought when I was first watching it that it was Sharon Stone, but then when I met her, her bisexual lover, the girl Roxy, Roxy, Roxy she I has thought, a name even though say, she dies a me, horrible Roxy, death. I thought perhaps maybe Roxy was the killer. There was a moment where I definitely was doubtful that Roxy was like a proxy. <laughs> That's a bumper sticker winning. <laughs> that she was killing. The Roxy Proxy. She was killing on. She would do deeds. Uh-huh. Because there are a lot of movies like that. That's where, exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. And they looked very similar. They both yeah. had the blonde hair. Oh, that's uh isn't that uh it's kind of like Sunset Boulevard kind of thing where the one guy was keeping the whole thing alive. And I'm also not a guy that needs a twist for a movie to work. If I know it's the killer from the beginning, it doesn't yeah. bother yeah. me as much. If the characters are interesting, but I was thinking because this movie is built on the twist, like that's it, it, it to me. It's like there was nothing that made me think that it wasn't Sharon Stone. The problem also is I'm seeing this movie when it's been in the zeitgeist for years yeah, too. So yeah, so I'm not notions. watching it with completely fresh eyes. But uh, I will say though that Sharon Stone is terrific in this role. Mm-hmm. Whatever you say about the movie, Sharon Stone makes it work because she just leans completely into the character, knows exactly the kind of movie she's in, mm-hmm. how to play it. She's the femme fatale, yep. the murderous femme fatale, and she plays that to a T. Yeah. Absolutely. She's, yeah, she's completely – I mean, you have to be confident. You have to play someone that's uber confident. She's mm-hmm. playing like someone that's superhumanly confident. Yeah. You know, no one has that level of confidence. Like, she's passing lie detector tests. But apparently everybody can in this movie. <laughs> well, I, from, you know, from like a female perspective. And, yeah. and uh, you know, one of the things I, I really liked watching this now, you know, at 33. Well, I was 32, almost 33. I really had, you know, when I think about the interrogation scene, obviously it's, it's objectification, you know, it's mm-hmm. best. But um, the thing I really did like about the, her character is that, there is a lot of strength in her, you know, the way that she sort of commands the room. She doesn't back down. And, and I appreciate her frankness. You know, we were joking about it earlier because she's saying I like, she's listing all these arbitrary things that she likes about men. And, but I admire that. I think there's a real honesty there and, and um, like a power in that, you know, that she wasn't just this mental case psycho killer. Like she actually was intelligent and she was very much in control and kind of knew – what she was doing, mm-hmm. you know. It goes back to the type of the weakness of Joe. We're calling Joe, uh, Joe's script, and that he doesn't really seem to like women. Well, we can definitely touch on that later. But at least from a mm-hmm. from a, I don't want to call her the heroine because she's not a heroine. But 
from the standpoint of having a having the focal character be a female remember in the early 90s and have her be so controlling and so powerful and really calling the shots and then to have her be a murderer on top of that but not have her be so uncontrollable you know they always make women out to be crazy psycho cases which she you know emotional yeah but they make them to be unstable emotionally unstable and Blah, 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 like in Fatal Attraction, Glenn Close freaking lost it, you mm-hmm. know? I respect and I really like the fact that Sharon Stone in this movie is so controlled. Yeah. Well, you're saying she's more of a Lecter-style psychopath totally. where she's Absolutely. in control of the scenario. Absolutely. She's like the quintessential like icy blonde, you know, the Hitchcock cool blonde with mm-hmm. hiding things, you know? And, and I also drew that parallel, too, um, especially in the interrogation scene when she has the classic French twist hairdo and the all-white, you know, outfit. It just made me think of Hitchcock. You know, um, but I, I I remember watching that thinking, man, I like her, even though she's a killer and I know she's a liar and who knows what else. I was like, I I like her, like I respect her. Well, she completely owns her sexuality. Well, that and she's not yeah, a victim in any exactly, way, shape, or form. exactly, and she, she doesn't owns make that room. yeah, she doesn't make excuses either, which is another thing I admire. You know, again, we've seen in movies prior to this, and I want to again draw that parallel to a fatal attraction where the women are always making excuses or they come off as the crazy batshit crazy ex-girlfriend stereotype you know like Glenn Close she's not that at all she sought him out in this movie she did her research on him and targeted him and just again took complete control of of the situation and you know master manipulator Um, and even even to the very end doesn't back down she never loses it it's like she never slips does she write the books mm-hmm. as an to yep. kill, or she killed to write the books? What like what? What serves what? I think it's premeditated. <laughs> I think she writes the books first, and then because in this movie's mm-hmm. logic, it gives her an alibi. Yeah. Hey Joe, that's not an alibi. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's it's, it's, like, it's a reason of doubt, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just it's um coincidence or. Mm-hmm. But you can't say, oh, like if I would murder Tony later, if I wrote a book first where I murder Tony. And it's on the record. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I wrote the book. And then wow, there's a lot of people predicting murder here. He doesn't know I have a nice pick. <laughs> he goes on podcasts and then he kills him later. Like, you have cube dice. What do you need a nice pick from? <laughs> I'm writing down here about how I'm going to kill Tony. I have a wine <laughs> court. Like, oh, he wrote it down. That's his alibi. Exactly. That's how that works. Exactly. But that's the way they were treating it. But I think to answer your question, Scott, I think it's, I think they sort of hinted at it in the movie that, that she writes the novels first as a way to sort of premeditate and think it out and then waits a year or two and then executes. So the murder is a, the goal, not the books. Exactly. The books are a vehicle to plan the murders and make money while doing it. I think, too, and this is an element I don't know how often it's been discussed, but I really believe that Catherine Wolfe, the character, mm-hmm. especially with the casting of Sharon Stone. Wasn't was her name Catherine Martell? Her name is Catherine Tramell. Thank you. Tramell. Was Wolfe in the... Wolfe is her pen name. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Again, she's a wolf. Listen, uh, I'm a fan of the novels, go, guys. Andrew, I wanted to read Wolf. that novel. Sean's kayfabe only on book titles. That's right, I am. <laughs> he, he only could buy pen names. It's not Samuel Clemens, it's Mark Twain. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's Mark Twain to me. So, you know, I'm a fan of her work. Um, <laughs> he wants to read that book. Uh, right. But anyway, like I was going to say, Catherine, I think, is modeled after Madonna in a lot of ways. Now, obviously, Madonna's mm-hmm. not a killer. Yeah. 
But I think the, perce- the public perception of Madonna, especially at that time in 92, this is right after Justify mm-hmm. My Love when she's getting the truth or dare. You know what's so crazy, Sean? I was having a very similar conversation with a friend about that because I told him I was doing Basic Instinct today. And he said, yeah, he goes, I, have a, I think that that was written for Madonna. It had to be. she been. turned it down. Yeah. Because uh, now Sharon Stone's a much better actress than Madonna. Mm-hmm. But Sharon Stone looks like a more refined version of the early 90s mm-hmm. Madonna, you know, probably more appealing to a Hollywood personality. But, but just the fact that uh, this is not to say because Madonna, a lot of what Madonna did was her art. You know, yes. that she put out there. But the way the the public was perceiving her around 1992 of the sex-obsessed, mm-hmm. bisexual, uh, you know, overt sexuality, um, kind of manipulating people, manipulating image, it's kind of how people perceive Madonna. I said, this is clearly a movie that was... You know, like a very powerful woman. Yes, yeah. yes. And I think this is a character people clearly, clearly thought should played by Madonna if, if not modeled after her. Now, there's a lot more nuance to Madonna's art than that. That's just how the average person probably perceived her at mm-hmm. that time. Yeah, kind of like a larger-than-life female. Yes. Yeah. In, in fact, I think Madonna made a similar movie called Body of Evidence, which bombed. It was it was, it was was a flop during the same year. For was Sean Penn in that? Is that where they fell in love? No, that was in the 80s. I think it was like did, What was 80s. the movie that they did where she did the Live to Tell? And that's the movie Sean Penn I think that did. was Evita. No, um, <laughs> no. I, it's a uh, it's a movie called At Close Range, which had and Christopher Sean Walken. In that. Yeah. yeah, and Christopher Walken. I think that's where they met, isn't it? Uh, I think it movie? is. I think it's around because yeah. she did live to tell for that, mm-hmm. and then they did Shanghai Surprise, yeah. which George Harrison produced and it flopped in the like the mm. late eighties too. So yeah, Madonna had a few. Yeah, instances. live to tell. It's a good one. Yeah, yeah, live to tell is a great mm-hmm. song. It's one of her best. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think Sharon Stone picked it up, but Sharon Stone is obviously playing off of that kind of persona mm-hmm. a little bit in the subtext She of kind the movie. of, you know, Sharon Stone in this movie, and again, this ties back to the Hitchcockian vibes, but um, she kind of reminds me of like a combination of Kim Novak and Grace Kelly. Yeah, that's... that's uh, well, that dress was... Kim Novak's, right? That was, I mean, that was the look, right? It, she looked a lot like what Kim Novak in Vertigo. The, yeah, the mm-hmm. white dress, mm-hmm. though. Mm-hmm. With the Especially French with her twist. hair up and everything. Uh-huh. Although when her hair is down, oh my God. Oh my God, Sharon Stone, a beautiful woman. Even oh, with the hair it. up. I think she looks yeah, really pretty with her hair up. <laughs> she, she's, mm-hmm. she's, but she has like don't a softness. See it. Like, <laughs> she has a softness and a, for like an elegance of like Grace Kelly, but mm-hmm. there's a little hardness to her, kind of like the Kim Novak. Yeah. Like the cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's interesting too. I mean, just from from my vantage point, being, seeing it for the first time is, I have always known about the interrogation scene. I did not know that the actor it was performed in front of was Wayne Knight from Seinfeld, who <laughs> is Newman. Uh-huh. I thought it was going to be Michael Douglas, but I'm like, like this takes me out of the movie a little bit because well, Michael well, Douglas was in the room. Oh, he was, but the close ups are on Wayne Knight's face yeah. as he's looking. It's that's directed at him. Uh-huh. He's the what assistant AD? Yeah. Or yeah. Which wonders if, if, if there's an alternate version of where Wayne Knight ends up having an affair with Sharon Stone. <laughs> what kind of movie that that would be? Well, can we just talk park? about two Michael Douglas? I mean, hello. Ugh. Goodbye. Not yeah. <laughs> oh, stop. We're not. No. no he is so sexy you. and really sexy in this movie. So, in your face. <laughs> yeah, fine. <laughs> Debate settled. When he rolls into that club in that father sweater, I was so angry. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite scene is that sweater. Was, that club made me angry. <laughs> he clearly didn't know. I like uh, the father sweater. 
He was like, what's sexy? Me in a green v-neck. Not interested. Sharon Stone has to bring it head to toe. T to B, she has to look stunning. He couldn't even do a push-up. <laughs> I <laughs> thought he looked great. That's, that scene alone, though, is such a, a typical version of Hollywood in the early 90s of what cutting-edge culture was, like the counterculture, you know, club scenes. Like, you know, it might have been also a visual, like, way to show that he was, she was really out of his range. You mm-hmm. know, like out of his league. Well, no, they were they were seducing each other on the dance floor. But we'll get there because we need to talk about Jean Triplehorn. Oh, she's so uh, beautiful. That poor, mm. poor woman. I know. This movie, yeah. as I said earlier, does not like women. I mean, she goes through it to like. She is bad at her job because they have to bring in Stephen Topolowski to tell us <laughs> about <laughs> about Sharon Stone because he read her book that she's a psych that she is a psychopath. That's my biggest fear in life is someone brings in Stephen Trubolowski. That <laughs> Excuse me. I like it. <laughs> a V-neck that's sweater. That's a very V-V. Yeah, that's, that's v. a deep V on the sweater. That is a deep V with some clavicle bones and chest hair popping out. I'll take it. In what <laughs> universe is Sharon Stone taking that home? <laughs> Sharon fucking Stone. I'll take she it home. A stunning woman. Hey, yeah. She opens herself up to Wayne Knight, so we don't know exactly well, what happened. Well, to get control of the room, and she opened herself to the whole room. It wasn't too hard with Wayne Knight, I don't think, though. I he, think was, <laughs> he was sweating instantly. Though. He was. She was like, she knew that he was, Catherine. He well, was like, yeah. Hey, 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 hey. It's like, Wayne, let's have some... Let's aye, have some aye, aye. He was the easy target. Like, yeah. And I, for the record, love Wayne Knight. I'm glad he's in this movie. It's a pleasant surprise for me seeing it, but... Uh, as far as like the like, like 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 the psychological evaluation scene, like when Triple Horn brings him in, saying, "This is out of my league. I'm going to bring it over to the expert." Mm-hmm. You do not need Stephen Tabalaski to do that. She could <laughs> yeah, have yeah. done that scene, but all they had to do, because again, they can't respect this woman or a woman in this movie. They have to be like, "Oh, I'm just not. My woman brain is too small. I can't process this. A man needs to tell me what to do." And then like. Because like, he murdered two tourists, or he shot two tourists, and he was on a coke binge, and still has a job. Because <laughs> as as you as you do, so he's so he is. Um, it's because he's a guy. Probably. Well, I think that's what they were trying to say. But again, not Joe Estrada is not the most subtle of writers. So he's. They sent him to, the internal affairs psychiatrist. <laughs> I know. To evaluate him, who by the way they're having sex with, <laughs> or that he's having sex with. He's, they were having sex with each other. Yeah. And that probably shouldn't be allowed. No. She and asked they, him about how his sex life is. He says, my hands are calloused. By the way, Michael <laughs> Douglas, what is wrong with your penis? <laughs> what? If you have calluses from your own penis, you should see a doctor. <laughs> well, I want to get even into the <laughs> interrogation scene. Because let's keep in mind, these guys are homicide, homicide detectives in San Francisco Getting advice on psychopathy. I mean, don't you think they would have already had some experience with this? It's one of the most violent cities in the world. San Francisco? Yeah. I mean, it has a, a history mm-hmm. for, you know, murder. Uh, well, that's another Hitchcockian nod, I think. Hitch loved San Francisco. Oh, he does. A lot of movies in San Francisco. and. I mean, they, they, they steal from Vertigo in this movie, mm-hmm. like the stocking. Uh, yeah. The he blatantly rips off so many <laughs> so many different gr- fantastic movies and then just, like, makes them horny. It is so <laughs> upsetting. It is very sexually charged, this right. movie. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, clearly it's sexually oh, charged. Oh, clearly. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, it also has that, that one scene that's in all of these type of thrillers, erotic thrillers, 
which is everybody's wealthy for one. Everybody mm-hmm. has a nice house. But they go into the night pool scene where a detective or somebody's lurking in, near a pool, you know, with all these like like exotic lights. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Like there's always somebody going up to the man- mansion at night yeah. oh. to be a voyeur of some sort. Yeah, that, that's the one Yeah, scene that he, he voyeurs her a lot. I mean. Oh, he's a complete voyeur. Yeah. And she's always naked. Again, this Hitchcock, <laughs> you know, the Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Well, even the, even the car chase scenes kind of reminded me of Vertigo a little bit. What was the point driving. of that car chase? I know. She's like, she's Use a clearly, Sharon Stone. She's driving recklessly. It's, it's, it's he's <laughs> really horny. That's probably the why he's driving the, so fast. What is the like? She, she's driving to go visit because again, she's best friends with someone who murdered her whole family, an older woman who's a yeah. friends with her family, and she's driving like a maniac just to prove that she's not mentally well. Like, what is the point of it? And he has to. She keep knew up he with was. Her? She was. She knew he was tailing her. Mm-hmm. So she was trying to lose him. Yeah. But she wasn't. She does but a lot she of like. She wanted him to follow yeah, her. Yeah, she does a she lot of that. She had it all. It was all premeditated. Yeah. Like she even says towards the end, you know, I finished my novel, and you know that like she was even using dialogue that they were, you know, conversations that they were having for her novel. That was mm-hmm. all premeditated. She had him right where she wanted him. Mm-hmm. Well, she completely controlled him during the movie, but I'm also wondering like. He made the, his character made it so easy for her to control him because he mm-hmm. just went right into it immediately without any beats or anything, which makes uh, I, I, you know I know that his character has a troubled, tortured past, right? Like he he had, killed Taurus on a coke binge. <laughs> it was a, it was a, wasn't it a drug shootout? And there were two tourists were shot. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't really get. I just know he was on coke and he killed people. This movie loves cocaine, by the way. I want to put that on the record. Like it is. That's just yeah. Joe Estrada. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, the message is cocaine kills. You get on cocaine, you're gonna kill someone. That's or have the fuck of your life. <laughs> fuck of the century. Get it right. Either or. Did you ever fuck on cocaine, Andrew? <laughs> I've never tried cocaine. Anyone listening? And I don't recommend it. You know. <laughs> Apparently, it was pretty big. You know, in the late eighties, early nineties. Oh, oh, it yeah. was the drug, especially in in high society and in that that era in California, especially in the seventies and eighties, it was prevalent. Uh, so he, he adds it to the lure, the luridness of the movie. You need that kind of exotic. Yeah. Like, oh, these are rich people doing cocaine, and they have sorted. <laughs> They're cocaine, having sex, and lives. killing each other with ice picks. I guess an ice pick would be a rich person's thing because they're not going to—they're not going to cube their ice, like put it in a refrigerator. They're going to buy blocks of ice and then pick it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds like the opposite of a rich person. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's like that's, right, yeah. that would be a sophisticated way of getting ice is you buy a block of it. You don't make your own ice and you repeatedly stab it. Yeah. I, would think, I think rich people would have it already taken care of for them. I don't, I don't know how, like an ice pick, she was smashing ice to put mm-hmm. in a glass. Yeah. But that, that's not a great way to get small pieces of ice for a drink, I don't think, though. I, th- I think it's best she should have... Uh, if all you had to do... An ice cube tray? Yes. All you had to do was buy her an ice cube tray because then, then he knows that if she has an ice pick, she's planning on using it other than you know for ice. It's, well, it's I think the cool. ice pick is metaphoric. It's supposed to be an erotic. Because she's an icy blonde. Yeah. Well, that yeah. and also, again, it's a little phallic. Yes. Slightly. And I think yeah. the fact that she had the ice pick, she wanted, when she pulled that out to make the drink, like, again, she wanted him yeah. to know that it was her. Like, yeah. Or at least have suspicions. I mean, that was all part of her. She liked playing with that. Yeah. Even, 
it, I mean, she's d- playing with his emotions on like 50 different levels. There's that knowing where she's doing something that she knows that he knows that she's overtly, mm-hmm. you know, alluding to something. But then she's doing it in a way that he can imply that's playful and not for real. He's, he's just, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a wild movie. <laughs> so remember when the hero of the film, the man that you find so <laughs> straight up rapes Gene Triplehorn? <laughs> remember when that happened? He's our hero? Hey, she I didn't says, no, hey, stop, hey. I don't want this to happen. I never called him a hero. I just said he looked good. That poor, <laughs> okay. poor woman. Here's what happened. Well, it's she ob- said, no, he didn't stop. Uh, and that, uh, that happened. But... <laughs> Here's the thing, okay? So it was obvious that they were having a relationship, and it really w- – it was very – That's not either. That's not clear either um, because he has keys to the, her – she has keys to his apartment. And he's like, we fucked 12 times. Why would you give somebody that you were only having sex with a dozen times keys to your place on a Bart Sibden keychain, by the way? Well, that's what I mean. It was obviously very a very unclear or uncommitted type relationship, friends with benefits, whatever it was. She obviously was more invested emotionally than he ever was. Because he made it clear, hey, we just had sex a couple times. She wanted more than that, and that was evident. Then why would he give her a key to her apartment? Now, I don't know. I can't speak for that. I'm just saying. I like how he's counting clear. how many times they have sex. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was clear that, like, she was more into the relationship than mm-hmm. he was. I think what, ha- well, you know, the quasi-rape scene, which, yeah, that's, that was very uncomfortable to watch, and I remembered kind of, like, having, like, mixed feelings about it because I could see it kind of from both sides of the coin a little bit, and I'll explain that. So... You know, again, it's a very sexually charged movie, <laughs> and we're coming off of that interrogation scene, and, you know, Michael Douglas, and, and it, it's very erotic, and I think he had all of those pent-up feelings. Really, I think when he was having sex with Beth, is the character's name, he was, in his mind, banging uh, Catherine. He wasn't emotionally there with her. He, I think, just wanted it so bad, like, because all he could think about that day was Catherine. And so that's why, seriously, and that's why, you know, as soon as they got into the house, it was like, bam, it was on. He never talked to her. It wasn't about the two of them. It wasn't intimate. It was just sex. Like, I think he, again, I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying, you know, it was one of those things where it was just an act for him. And, yeah, it was really uncomfortable, you know, because you could tell at first the girl was into it, you know, but then when she realized he wasn't hmm. really there, that's when she's like, okay, enough, enough. Does that, that happen right after she walks into the bar for three seconds? They yes, call, that's yeah. right after that. They call yeah. him Shooter? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he knew, like, here's the thing. He knew that she was an easy target. He knew it's if they said, let's go home and he could have her and sleep with her. Again, I'm not justifying it or defending his choice. I'm just saying that's, I think, what happened. Well, he was in his mind having sex with Catherine. He really wanted Catherine, not Beth. Beth happened to be there as a Beth vehicle. Beth is garbage, is what this movie views. That she's she just, really walks yeah. into the bar for like, hi, hi, wanna fuck? Let's like that's all she's there for. It's well, that's what so I mean. She upsetting. and that's the sad thing too, is because she didn't really do anything to like stop that. You know, she kind of um, condoned it, and then. You know, after they kind of that one scene where they get into the argument at his apartment, and he kind of is very honest with her, and then the next day he says, "You know, Beth, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that." She goes, "Yeah, you did," 
And then like she's like, I can handle it. I'm a big girl. And then gets into the car, gets into the car, and gets like a little emotional. You know, it's like as a woman, I could sympathize with that. But at the same time, it's like then tell them it's over. Stop it. You're this is becoming self-induced now. I think that you was, know. I and think so, that was Joe so giving. I think it goes both ways, though. I mean, again, I'm not defending his choices or her choices, but it was a very obviously toxic and and unhealthy relationship of sorts. She probably didn't like him in that green sweater. And he's like, I want someone that appreciates me. I think that green sweater is hot. It's, well, I, I hope it's cashmere. I, I do want to comment on that scene. Like, I, I'm with Andrew. I feel terrible for her character yeah. because I think she's at heart a decent person and Absolutely. she gets sucked into this. Yeah. But my issue, and I think it's an issue I have in general with Michael Douglas's character. It's not his performance. It's the character as written. Mm-hmm. We have this scene where he basically rapes her character, mm-hmm. and we know she's not happy with it because she leaves immediately after, mm-hmm. although it's problematic because she keeps coming back to him after exactly. that fact. Yeah. I, I, that's an issue, too, but um, we're also supposed to feel sympathy for him soon afterwards when he's being framed for that murder, uh-huh. and then she gave away his file. And it's like, well, how, as an audience, are we supposed to feel sympathy for a guy who just raped his girlfriend and then go back to being sympathetic towards him? Because I know they want him to be complicated. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like that scene should have taken place right before he had an affair with with Catherine. Mm -hmm. Because then I would understand his descent into this darker world. But when you have him doing that, and then we have to go back to being sympathetic for him, it throws me off a bit where I'm like, well, he's already kind of descended. So, Yeah, I think whenever uh, a TV show that does this is Game of Thrones will do that, where you Mm -hmm. you start feeling sympathetic for a character, but then they'll have the character rape someone, and you're just like... You know, murder you can justify based on scenarios. Not murder, but if you kill someone like in defense or someone's a bad person. But rape is a hard thing to really get behind a person because there's really no scenarios where it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know. So it's hard to, if you're making a character, which I think is great to Andrew's part, where it's yeah. like he's not a hero. And it's like, yeah, so this yeah. movie doesn't really have a hero. There's really no heroine Maybe or hero. Maybe Jean, triple no, horror? I mean, no, there's none. Yeah. I don't think there is any one person that you're really supposed to be rooting for in this movie. I don't. It's just They're all very flawed. They yeah. all have their own issues. Um, they get what they deserve, really. Kind of, yeah. yeah. You know, it, it, uh, even Catherine, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I do, like, most noirs are, are designed that way, like double indemnity from the 40s. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, I think that when you see something that, I wouldn't say graphic, but it's blatant, it's right in your face, yeah. like that, that kind of act, and then you have to go back to kind of following the story. I can see why that's problematic for, for people, because it is, it, it just feels like that should have been a bigger scene in the movie if you're going to do something like that for that character. And I feel like that should have happened right before the affair fully blossomed. There mm-hmm. was no yeah. need for that scene. Like you could I yeah. agree. You could That's yeah. what I was just going to say. Right yeah. 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 They didn't need it. They could have fought. It I was agree. just, I don't even know what, I don't even know why it's in there. I was you don't the only thing I could it. justify as to why it was in there was what I said earlier to, yeah. to, to illustrate his growing lust for Catherine that he couldn't get Catherine in that moment in time, knew he could get the other girl and just had to do that, you know, like, because he, had to, get, cause he had to get that out. I, exactly. Essentially, and have him say Catherine. I, agree, I agree with you. I don't think that it had to, that I don't think that it had to be in the movie either. And it, like I said, it made me feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm a woman here, guys. Like, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not going against that grain. I guess I'm trying to see it from, from every aspect, you know, like, this guy Nick's not a great person. Beth really isn't a great person either. 
none of them are great people. Again, not saying that she deserved that because nobody deserves that. But she also invited it. Again, you know, I'm not saying, look, just because she invited it means she deserves it. It's one of those really sticky, complicated things, you know, that unfortunately that's how sex is. It's like that fine line between pleasure and pain. You can be totally consensual one second and then it can turn on a dime. That's why there's, it's just really gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that this scene needed to be in the movie. It didn't add any value to it. It just was what it was. Um, and it's a shame because... It just really wasn't necessary, and otherwise the movie is flawless. (laughs) 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 It's just really complicated, you know. Maybe if he sniffed cocaine before, that was what was missing. You do feel bad for both characters, and Mm -hmm. and you know, in that moment, as a woman, I obviously very much sympathize with Beth. Um, Do you see anybody doing cocaine in this movie? You see a lot of references to it i don't think you actually see anyone doing it, which is weird because you see everybody do everything else but you never see anybody do cocaine actually in the beginning in the the very beginning they have a lot of the rock star boyfriend was like wasn't he like shoved like they were lining they were lining yeah the boy that's interesting boyfriend i think they were trying to avoid an nc-17 rating and they had to cut out a lot of Thing, or they had to do like cut some stuff to get it to an R rating because it was NC seventeen. Yeah. Wow! I don't know how they really should? I agree <laughs> with you. They really should have cut that scene out. Like it's interesting because when we talk about Basic Instinct, I know we spent a good amount of time talking about that scene, but that's one thing I don't. I try. It's like I don't. I don't think of that when I think of this movie. If that you don't think sense. of the sex part, the rape scene. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's because it's the first time I've seen it in full. It definitely stood out for mm-hmm. me. Uh, I. I had issues. Now there are movies I've seen that, like a Clockwork Orange, for for certainly shows rape, but it's also from a very, I don't know, it's complicated to talk yeah. about whether you justify it or not. That's always a, it's, a fine it is line. hard, exactly. And I, I know I, what you I'm mean. not the best expert to to, to comment mm-hmm. on that either, but um, it, it stood out for me in a way, and I, it also from a script standpoint with his character, from his motivations, I, I feel like Michael Douglas's character. Just kind of maneuvers all over the place. Like I never feel like there's a clear, mm-hmm. like there's not a, th- a strong thread line with his character. I understand he had a troubled past, but it seems like he wavers between being kind of a hero, then kind of like a completely embracing being a uh, his dark side, but then going back to being the hero again. But it doesn't feel like it's scripted in a way that makes it interesting enough or explains it enough as to why this is happening with him. It just kind of. Yeah. It feels like they didn't really know what to do with his character. I would guess, which knowing nothing about anything, that because Michael Douglas was a huge star at this point, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. That he did not want to be so passive to a woman, and because Catherine is really the star of this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And so I would guess that there were some rewrites with the script where he was like, "I would be more of a tough guy here. I would do more of this than this here. My character would do that because I don't want to be seen as weak." I would guess there's some hubris involved in some script rewrites to get him to do this movie. That's just my guess. Because uh, it doesn't make, because he does go back and forth and of like being in charge and not, uh, just being under her, being played by her, rather. So I, I would, that's my guess of what happened. I have no knowledge of that. And I don't have an issue with Michael Douglas's performance because I think he does most of what he can with an underwritten character in a way. Uh, but I, I do feel like it's hard to kind of, I think he does as much as he can with with that role, but I feel like the role is problematic, much less than Catherine, who I feel is a very strong character. We kind of understand, not understand her, but 
the mystery is there and it's justified as to why it's there with her. We're, we're with him, it's nothing's really explained much. He just kind of yeah. descends into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they get a lot of mileage out of the killing horse of cocaine as his <laughs> like what can be manipulated about him, like his guilt about that, his insecurity about how that's viewed and all that. Um, I think that's the majority of, of, you know, what's played up. But it would have been, I think there should be probably other aspects of it that, that they show that, you know, like maybe if he was like a good cop and he's being driven mad by this woman that knows everything about him and she's just driving him to the dark side, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, through his, because um, um, it's not quite clear why he's on her radar. For sh- I mean, she's writing the book, and she needs him for the book, but it's not really clear why. I think she chose him because he is troubled. Because remember, she knew all about his past. She knew about the mm-hmm. wife leaving him, that he killed those tourists. I think she it was an easy target. Was an this the long guy who was this the long game? Did she kill uh-huh. the? Because the other guy was in the book, the rock star mm-hmm. was in the book. Did she kill that guy? They get to I think the she cop. just instantly knew when she when they came to her, when they found her at her beach house where she was just sitting there, like people do. There was a way that when they walked up to her, just sitting there, was insane. But with this amazing line, I wasn't dating him. I was fucking him. What are you, a pro? No, I'm an amateur. That was like their one of their first interactions. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. with amazing dialogue like that, but I think she just sized him up and realized kind of what, because mm-hmm. I think, as this movie says, because she's a psychiatrist, that means that you can also plan mind games because psychiatry is that sexy. <laughs> well, I, this this movie I is think still it was, problematic. I, I really think it was all premeditated. I think her dating the rock star, and then when she decided she was going to kill the rock star and write this next novel about the detective... She did her research, and then she sought out Nick, and then she probably knew if she killed that rock star, you know, that Nick would maybe be on the case, and that's kind of how that all started. Because it was very evident, and the interrogation scene is a great example of that. Um, She was playing with Playing with Nick. She didn't care about anybody else. She didn't care about anybody else. She would look right at him and ask him questions. Wade Knight, though, was going to make her pay attention to him. That's the important thing. <laughs> I thought she just, like, sized him up kind of immediately, like, oh, this is the guy that I can... I thought she was that good. Oh, she's supposed to be, like, Hannibal Lecter-level yeah, like, intelligent. So I, don't, I don't think she murdered the rock star to get to... I don't think to get to Nick. I think she happened upon Nick and immediately when she, realized... When she found Nick in there, and then she said, oh, I'm going to research this guy, because yeah. he's the guy on the case... Now, is she doing it for the book, or is she doing it to get off the case? Like, what's the motive? What's that? So, what he's saying, and that's a great point, Andrew, is that she sizes him up when he comes to her house, and, you know, they're, they're you know, questioning her for the first time, that then she gets, he gets on the radar, she reads about him, all the mm-hmm. issues that he's had, and then she uses that to manipulate him. And then maybe gets the idea for the book that she's writing. You know? Maybe, yeah, it could be. It could be. I because th- like she's immediately mm-hmm. writes that book. Mm-hmm. Like I don't. Yeah, I think I she, think, I think I she kind of had a good sense about him mm-hmm. before the interrogation scene. Hence, why she targeted him. Yeah, she knew before that. Yeah. Clearly, she knows. Yeah, she, yeah, he was on her radar. Yeah. I do want to read this though. I'm on a uh, what is this? A letter 
letterboxd.com. I don't never been on here before, <laughs> but this reviewer named Joe left this really interesting um, narrative that I think is is neat. So we quoted Dr. Beth Garner saying she's evil, she's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that. he says, in Vertigo, a man falls in love with the image of a woman, and the woman dies as a direct result. In Basic Instinct, the image takes her revenge. This is a thriller about the seductive power of the thriller, how deep down we're all attracted to killers and psychos, and how fear, excitement, and arousal can all be substituted with, with one another at will. But whose? Most Hollywood thrillers are built on a note, good versus evil paradigm. But here the prism is, irrel- is reverently skewed at every opportunity, and we have a villain who might be innocent and a hero who is unquestionably guilty. I remember Ebert's complaint about the plot, which was that every clue is designed to swing both ways, either towards Catherine's guilt or her innocence. But unlike in, say, Jade, the effect doesn't diminish the story, the characters, or, most importantly, the compulsive watchability. Like a bad paperback, you can't put, you can't put this movie down, even though you know it doesn't really love you. Well, I think I, that's I, really brilliant. I like that. It, it basically is... Um, in in cinematic form, the cheap romance mm-hmm. novel. Yeah, and, 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 you know, they even duplicate the novel of a, a romance novel mm-hmm. from that era perfectly at the beginning with was it Love Hurts? Uh-huh. It's a terrible title, <laughs> which those those books usually are. Yeah, but I think it, it's pulpy. This movie kind of leans into mm-hmm. it's it's a pulpy, trashy film. You know, yeah. it, it, and I think it embraces what it is. That's probably why it has. A rewatchability factor and why mm-hmm. it's built up such an audience is because, despite its flaws, it, it it appeals to the things that people want to see in those type of. Movies. I know why it's rewatchable. <laughs> well, I know that too. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that's the most <laughs> paused scene, I guess. In in, in, in oh, it has history. to be that next to Mr. Ripley. <laughs> Mr. Ripley. But even beyond that, I, I think it's the, it, it plays perfectly well late at night on TV. Totally, and for me to watch it on a you know fall Saturday night in the fall, in early fall, by myself with popcorn and a glass of wine, it just seemed to fit. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. it was like reading that cheesy paperback novel. You know, it, something about it. The timing was brilliant in my life, and I just was so drawn to this. I mean, is it a blockbuster? Is it the best movie of all time? An Oscar winner? No. But but there's a campiness to it and a pulp value and um, the mixture of all those things that that gentleman Joe said, you know, the, the arousal, the excitement, the fear, the thrill, all those things that keep you wanting more. It definitely well, has that. It opens up with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, exactly. <laughs> so you know it's going to be good. Um, and the score, Jerry oh, Smith. Oh, the score. I mean, the score is like its own character. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, he's a, he's a brilliant composer, and it, it's very evocative. It is. It, uh, it's catchy and evocative, yes. which is what I love about scores. I think uh-huh. that's an art form that's kind of dying with a lot of films. It's, mm-hmm. There's not as much emphasis made onto, onto melody in a score. Yeah. And, how it, it and the tone, in. and how it affects the mood, mm-hmm. and the tone, and the feeling. And you guys know me. I, I mean, Andrew, you know, you're getting to know me, but they know, like, my style in film is so much, very much this, in terms of... The darkness, the moodiness, the, the music, um, you know, in a way, it's almost David Lynchian, kind of. It could be. Mm-hmm. You know, this movie is, in yeah. some ways, it's not as surreal as a David Lynch film, but um, it's got some of those similar elements. It doesn't have the quirkiness of David Lynch. Yeah. yeah. You know, the yeah, my argument with that would be, like, like someone would say, 
like something like Blue Velvet is such a unique film mm-hmm. that there's a lurid dream dreamlike mm-hmm. quality to it. The script is really yeah. terrific. The characters are all fantastic. So it's elevated. This is more of a pulpy. This kind of reminds me a little bit of Twin Peaks in a way, where you have that like cheesy like when like when you first watch Twin Peaks, it, it's like the intro. You just feel like it's this melodramatic, you know, soap opera kind of thing. But you get so involved think, in it, and it's awesome. Uh, well, I think the likability of the Twin mm-hmm. Peaks characters, though, this yeah. movie doesn't have that. No. Oh, There's no, no, no Dale no. Cooper, who, no, who, who is... No, not at all. That's what's appealing about Agent Cooper, is that he is a good person, mm-hmm. and he's clearly a good person. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine him on this case? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be hilarious if Agent it Cooper would be was really Michael good. Douglas role. Yeah. But uh, also, Lynch has that, like, surreal idiosyncratic style of dreamscapes and aliens popping out of nowhere well i guess for me i think it was like the darkness the yeah the the, the nod to the past you know the hitchcockian vibes the insane club dancing with (laughs) which we haven't even gotten into well it's also just a beautifully like it's just a beautiful movie the scenes the costumes you know, it's like a kind of like a whimsical ride, you know? Yes, when I think of basic instinct, I think of pure whimsy. <laughs> I'm just saying, it kind of, I mean, it, you know, it, it's its definitely a fantasy. Yeah. You know, you, you're very much aware that it's not real life, is what right. I'm saying. It's not its not like that real gritty, there's theres a theres a glossiness to it. No, I know what you mean. You it, know what I mean? I know exactly what you're saying. It, this is a movie that knows it's a film and not yes, real life. It's exactly. not trying to reflect reality. Exactly. It's reflecting movie cliches. Totally, the, yes. The, the, the detectives have an office which is like five-star, uh-huh. you know, clean. You know, there's no grit at all in their office. Uh, every character is a stock character, like the best friend who's like, hey, you better stop, stay away from those women. You know, yeah. they're fucking with your head. Well, this is what Naked case. Gun makes fun of. Yeah, exactly. The Naked Gun was created to make fun of movies like this. Yeah, um, you uh, killed three actors. Good ones. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I know what you're saying. Like this movie is a movie that's self-aware that it's a film, and not not like poking, winking at you the whole time. But yes, it it has that Bernard Herrmann styled score. Exactly, it's supposed to be erotic. It's supposed to be uh-huh. erotically charged, sensual, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, which are things I I'm t- I tend to be drawn to. Right. Yeah. He's giving me a goofy look. No, I just, like, uh, I think Paul, is it, how do you say his last name? Verhaven? Verhaven, yeah. Like, he's not, he's not a subtle director. No. So, like, he, I think, he and Weirdly, Sharon Stone work well together because they're both, Arched. Sharon Stone doesn't yeah. doesn't really dial her performances back much, but, but it works with somebody, like, in this movie. But I think there are so many issues in the script that should have been addressed that like the point like Roxy yeah. what is she why what are you saying that like Catherine is a bisexual mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what Roxy I don't know if Roxy is a lesbian or if she is bisexual or how she defines herself I do not know because that was not um, really addressed in the script because again uh, one definition or like one for, for like two dimensional characters, but what there's the messaging that they are saying, or what the message that they're giving by doing this, which you have made like Catherine is a bisexual, not because she's attracted to all to the person, but she'll just fuck anything. Mm-hmm. It it villainizes queer people, and it and there's nothing um, 
other than being a weirdo, what is Roxy doing? Uh, she tries I, to kill Michael Douglas. I think Roxy was a MacGuffin. Classic Hitchcock but MacGuffin. You gave, but there was nothing to her. That exactly. The movie tre- but there's no, other than being a weirdo who makes out with Sharon Stone. I never perceived her as being weird. She tries to kill Michael Douglas. She tries to run him over with a car. So is Sharon Stone. She saw I mean, him in that sweater. Know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean, though. I think she's a MacGuffin used to make us think that she's really the killer. I understand that, Stone. but if then give her more of a character other than just being But that's the point of MacGuffins. They're 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 baseline. They're they're not But her then her one characteristic was lesbian. That's all, and then we could kill her. Like that's all they did with her. And I it's think that's a problem of the time too. Yeah, like I'm it, just saying it, that yeah, it's a valid criticism. Yeah, they, in fact gay rights yeah. groups were protesting this movie before its release because of the depiction of, of bisexual characters and mm-hmm. in, in LBG, you know, yeah. uh, characters in the know, movie. I guess maybe like, I don't watch it with that kind of mindset. I never thought she was weird, or I never criticized her for being gay or bi. I well, just didn't just see that it that it way. Wasn't, there was nothing to her character other than she was there for Sharon Stone to make out with, mm-hmm. to kind of yeah. Be she wasn't. She was. Like, I think. I think what Tony says is. I agree, hundred percent. She wasn't there. Anything other. She was just yeah. a, a ploy. Yes. She was. D- exp- expendable uh-huh. which is to, fine yeah and it's fine to make them expendable i get the point of the mcguffin i'm just simply saying that she there was no characteristic to the character other than being other gay then there for sharon stone to make out with and then be crazy she was someone to be jealous yeah of michael douglas who would have a motive then for wanting to kill him yeah and i think the problem too is hollywood had a track record for depicting gay characters is lurid or evil in this way, especially lesbians and bisexuality. Mm-hmm. And I don't... It doesn't let the movie off the hook. I think it just... This was probably commonplace during mm-hmm. that time, unfortunately, because we progressed a lot more. This would never be made today in the same way. They would have to give all these characters more nuance mm-hmm. and, and idiosyncrasies to make them something beyond that. Um, and also, there wasn't a, there was no counterpoint where they were making movies with a positive spin with 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 regular people who happened to be you know bisexual in movies. Yeah, I'm not even sure Sharon Stone her because you question all her relationships in general, so you're not even sure how she truly feels on any you know about Roxy about yeah. Nick. Like, is she just doing it just? Mm-hmm. She can play people off of each other because they have these. She can manipulate these people because they have past that are troubled, or is it she truly feels a certain way? So she could be this like surface level, you know. She's completely comfortable in her sex- sexuality, but you don't really know um, what her true her true sexuality is, you know. So um, yeah, I think you know she's she definitely strikes as the kind of person that's a user. She uses people. To her advantage, so she probably really didn't care much for Roxy, just like she doesn't care much for Nick. It's all about seizing. Well, she has that. Du- I think they were trying to f- the duality of her, like yeah. you say, everything is like: is she bad? Is she innocent? Is she guilty? Is she, you know, the bisexuality? Probably they're trying to play it into well, that. She, she did cry when Roxy died. Remember, they showed her crying. Yeah, but you even don't you don't even know, you know, because yeah. she offhandedly said that. Just to get to what was, what was her line? Yeah, it was nonsense. <laughs> Mr. Script, <laughs> Mr. Script over here. I rewound. I was like, "What?" Okay, I can't find it, but it was it was bonkers. Yeah, yeah. She uh, is that when she drops it nonchalantly about the uh, 
uh, Triple Horns mm-hmm. character. Oh, Beth Hoberman. Beth Hoberman. Beth Hoberman. Yeah. I said oh, Lisa oh, Hoberman, then I said Hoberman. I said <laughs> Hoberman. Jesus Christ, Sharon Stone. <laughs> I would also argue Esther Haas, I don't think, gives any of these characters a great deal of nuance anyway. No, no. That's not his strength as a screenwriter, is like complicated, like really complicated, nuanced yeah. characters. Uh, everybody looks bad in this movie, really. <laughs> uh, he went on to do Showgirls, which was also problematic in that way. I haven't seen Showgirls, but I've heard, you know, that has issues with it just being a terrible movie, I guess. Yeah, it's That's the biggest, probably the biggest problem is it's not good. Yeah. Showgirls? This isn't a bad movie though. This is this is there's a lot of parts of it that are really high mm-hmm. le- like the score yeah. and yeah. I, I think the cinematography is pretty good. Like everybody looks like yeah. good. I mean it's very like there's like a gloss. Shot well. To it. Yeah, yeah it's shot well. Yeah, it's it, it is a great looking movie. And I like movies that have that dark tint to them mm-hmm. anyway. I do like, too. you know, have that dark atmosphere. It's atmospheric. I mean it's it, very it, it, it it hits all the the notes mm-hmm. that you want from a movie like this, and the acting's good in it. Yeah. I, I, I think the acting's acting's great. I think the problems are like obviously like the dia- They chose this version of the dialogue. Everything's gonna be, um, and there are plot holes. You know, it's kind of an inconceivable. But it's it's like I think the trash novel is the best. You know, that's it's, what it's, I like yeah. about that too. The paperback. It's, it's a that's paperback. A great way to say it. It's it's a guilty. Ple- this uh-huh. is a guilty pleasure. This is like. But I'm not yeah. guilty. I'm. No, just, yeah, I love yeah, she, it. You're so just it's pleasure. That's a pleasure. Full disclosure. I love it. <laughs> Which is another Michael Douglas movie. Not as good. Um, I would say movie. like uh, if if somebody's looking for something that has like a bit more, uh, like substance to it from the same type of material, from the same rough, roughly the same era, like ten years earlier. The movie Body Heat with Kathleen Turner mm-hmm. and William Hurt is a probably a more sophisticated version of this film, you know. Yeah. It also has Ted Danson in it, so that's that's also a plus. But it was written by and directed by Lawrence Kasdan, who's who, who also wrote the screenplays for like Raiders of the Lost Ark and Empire Strikes Back and The Big Chill. Oh. So it's in that it's from that era. Uh, that would be my uh, if you're looking for something that kind of follows the same basic plot line. You know, the femme fatale seducing another guy. Do you think Richard Gere and Michael Douglas were competing for the similar roles at this time? <laughs> Probably. Because <laughs> what weren't, weren't they playing like those? I always thought Michael Douglas was like, man, he plays a lot of roles where he's like in these steamy, sexually charged, like murder yeah. movies. Yeah. And he kind of typecast himself, right? Because he wasn't always in those type of movies. Well, he his his career is more layered than that. Like he was making Romance in the Stone with Kathleen Turner, yeah, uh, which were more comedic. War of the Roses with Kathleen Turner, right? Remember that one? Danny DeVito. In fact, I didn't was, like that one as much. <laughs> yeah, he was paired a lot with Danny DeVito and Kathleen Turner during the eighties. So mm-hmm. Like they had a there was a that was a thing, and he also did Wall Street. Where, yeah. Although Gordon Gecko is a similar character to some of these others, except he just wears his evil in his sleeve and just mm-hmm. says, "I'm a bad guy," and, I, and I'm proud of it. Mm-hmm. Um. But he was usually cast, I think, from certainly from Pale Attraction as an upper class, mm-hmm. wealthy, diabolical guy, or just kind of greedy. Yeah, you know, a man, man of sin. <laughs> man of sin. <laughs> a man of sin. Man of sin, Michael Douglas. But my favorite Michael Douglas performance is actually in a movie called Wonder Boys, which is a completely different performance. Yes, I like that movie a lot. Yeah, Michael Douglas. No, he's a good actor. I'm a fan. Yes, me too. 
Is there anything else? <laughs> Hashtag. <you> got? <laughs> uh, so, what's your overall uh, sentiment of Basic Instinct? How does it uh, work for you on the whole? I don't care for it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I haven't seen it in a while, and I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I would like if you want a hot movie. Well, there's porn. Um, there's. Um, just kidding. You can edit that out. Um, I, don't, it's just, it, I don't think this one holds up. I just it's trying so hard to be sexy. It's trying so hard to be titillating that mm-hmm. it's like there are better movies that do this. And unless you're Sharon Stone, there's really no reason to rewatch this movie. I have a lot. Unless of you're Sharon Stone, well, or, or for her glory days. <laughs> so see, if you're Sharon Stone, when you were living, I was Sharon Stone, and my body looked like that. I would put it on film as much as possible. Play it. So we're assuming that Sharon Stone has a Norman Desmond-styled home where she watches her own movies from her heyday. Basic instinct. Does she have a butler too? I wonder. It'd be great. Well, I think the movie is, for what it is, I think it's fun. You know, like fun maybe is not the right word, but um, I mean, it was, is it my all-time favorite movie? No. You know, is it something I'm going to watch every day? No. Um, are there flaws in it? Absolutely. Um, does it hold up in terms of the way that times have changed in certain parts? No. Um, but removing all those things and just looking at it for what it <laughs> is, which is the cheesy, you know, paperback novel that's just trying so hard to make someone feel sexy, then for those purposes, I think it's really entertaining. I love Michael Douglas. Sharon Stone's phenomenal. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's just one of those sort of glossy, great late night films that you might have on. Um, well, this know. hits a I lot of your. Really like it. This, yeah. is, this hits a lot of the tropes you like. Exactly, which is I think why I'm really a good drawn score, to it. murder, yeah. uh, the glossiness, yeah. the, the style. Um, I mean, Sharon dress. Sharon Stone is beautifully dressed in this movie. Um, and beautifully you know, undressed. And, and beautifully <laughs> undressed. And it's funny, you know, because I could definitely see a lot of your points, Andrew, on some of the social issues with this movie. But when I watched it in October, I maybe maybe because I. Um, I never viewed gays or bisexuals in any as other people. Way. I know. <laughs> no. Oh, come on! You're like one of my best friends here. I, I never, I never <laughs> criticized, judged, or discriminated against them. So when I just saw Roxy as a character, I kind of was like, oh, she's kind of a MacGuffin type. Like, not they're not really giving her a lot because she's probably not going to last. Sure enough, she died. It, she was the she was to try to veer you off the path to thinking that it was Catherine. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you've definitely brought some things to light about it that that I just didn't really even think about, you know, when I was watching it. And maybe that's me being naive or unaware. I don't know. But um, I just, uh, yeah. So anyway, I mean, just taking it for for what it's worth, which for me is just mm-hmm. sick pleasure, I guess. Or <laughs> No, you like it. <laughs> I like it. Excellent. Oh, well, I was going to say is uh, this movie is stupid. But it knows it's stupid. <laughs> it knows it's stupid. Yes. Uh, I mean, the dialogue is is terrible. <laughs> it has a lot of stock characters. Uh, it is not the most uh, woke movie in terms of progressive depictions. Mm-hmm. But I also think that's a lot of movies from that time period are guilty of the same crime. Sure. Um, but I think the filmmakers know it's stupid, and they lean into the stupidity of it and the ludic- uh, the ridiculousness of the whole movie. 
and it is undeniably watchable. I think I recommend it. I think it's a pulpy, trashy movie that knows yes. it's a pulpy, trashy movie yeah. and plays it plays with strengths. I think the cinematography, you could tell they're leaning in with different close-ups yeah. and camera works to keep you in. So I think it's well-crafted trash. Yeah. Uh, I think there are. I think yeah. the screenplay has issues with motivation and stuff mm -hmm. with Michael Douglas's character in particular. I, I, it's a confusing character for me yeah. in some ways. But I think Sharon Stone's excellent. I think Michael Douglas does the best job he can with a kind of an underwritten role. Sure. And you know, yeah, I think John Waters, who's like one of my favorite directors, I think I'd be curious to know his thoughts on this movie, but I feel like he maybe would say it was it's good bad taste. Yes. You know, like it's 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 not the same thing, but it has kind of the appeal of Plan Nine from Outer Space. Yeah, we know it's dumb because mm -hmm. it, it, it's just, it, none, it none succeeds it despite sense. itself. And I think this movie, though, it's more like we know we're making a trashy, pulpy movie that should be shown on Cinemax, but we don't care. We're gonna have fun making it that way. We know it's it, it, what you perceive as a weakness. We know it's a weakness, but we're gonna make it a strength. Yeah, meaning we know what this movie's meant for, we know the whole purpose of this movie, which is just to get lost in a stupid erotic thriller for Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. An erotic thriller is a great way to say it. Right. They knew it was not going to be an Oscar contender. Right. Uh, they have, like, real <laughs> real valid substance. That but they have A-list people doing A-list work, like Jerry Goldsmith's score. Right. That like they, they, Everybody seems to be having fun saying, we know this is a pulpy, trashy film, but we're going to have fun with that. Just Well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, too. It, it, it is. It's just, like, undeniably watchable. Whether you like it or not, it's just something that you're like, you watch. I, I try to think of maybe another movie that's kind of like that on TV that you always see on late night or something like that that you don't really, it's not like your favorite, but you're just like, damn, here I am watching this again. It's a, it's a Shannon Tweed movie with Sharon Stone. That's basically <laughs> what this is. From my age, Sharon Tweed was always the star of all these lurid erotic thrillers on Cinemax and HBO. I think Gene Simmons made a try to get Sharon Stone and was like, I'll get second rate Sharon Stone. <laughs> Because my makeup's out, and I'm in less interest. Um, right. Yeah, I, I, I think I echo. You know, for me, this isn't I'm, the erotic thriller is 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 not my favorite genre. Um, I get its appeal, obviously, but um, um, I don't think the movies for me to for it to be watchable, if it was a lot worse, a lot bad. Like it's the dialogue is is not bad to a comical level. Um, it's just straightforward, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing extra, you know, um, but I think there's definitely, like you said, like, uh, the score is terrific. Mm -hmm. Um, Sharon Stone is awesome. There's, it's no doubt that even beyond the obvious stuff, like why her career took off after this, I think she, you know, there's aspects of this performance that are underrated that you, people don't normally uh, talk about the way you know uh, the dialogue. She delivers her dialogue and everything. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I don't think it's super watchable, rewatchable for me. But I definitely it's 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 a cultural phenomenon at the time. So definitely check it out to see, you know, get your opinion on it because this was a big deal when it came out, and uh, it's always good to take, you know, see what people were into. 25 years ago <laughs> so yeah and in, in that degree I, I i would i don't know i'm not sure i'm not gonna run out and see this movie again but uh i could definitely it's one of those i definitely understand the, its appeal and uh um like tony said i think she really captured the environment to watch this movie in the mm -hmm. fall 
you know, late at, at night, in the evening, whoops, the <laughs> wine. I'm sure that's the ultimate. Sean usually gives the best ways to watch this movie. That Tony gave it right there, you know. Mm-hmm. With your cat, yeah. You, with your cat, yeah. If you have a cat, that's even, you know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I want to thank Andrew. Uh, oh, I usually end the podcast. <laughs> by saying the best place to watch a movie outside of a theater, which this would be an interesting movie to watch in a theater. Would be on Blu-ray. And uh, it was released on Blu-ray in like 2015. I'm sure there's a lot of special features on there because, it's a, yeah. like Scott said, it's a cultural milestone. Whether mm-hmm. it's good or bad, it is a milestone in pop culture. Uh, so definitely check it out if you're a fan of the film. And I want to thank Andrew for yeah. being yes, a Andrew. Guest. Thank uh, you for having me, guys. It was yeah. so fun. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was great. Thanks uh, for talking about a movie you do not like. <laughs> well, yeah. I thought I did. And I saw it again, and I was like, I don't think I care for this. <laughs> That's great, though. I love the perspective. We asked him on specifically because he's like, I love Basic Instinct. I was like, awesome, me too. <laughs> it could get one note if everybody's on the same page or something. I remember so. it like, have, yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. And yeah. I, as rewatching it as an adult, oh. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's that happens to a lot of people. You like a movie when you're Absolutely. younger, you watch it again, and it doesn't hold up. Like what? I said like ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Say that as reaction. No. That's Sean's reaction to the ooh. I, this is like I still like the Karate Kid though. I don't care what anybody says. That's a Karate Kid. I know you like Titanic, Sean. Uh, well, Sean never like I. I will vouch for that. Sean. Sean was anti Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was I was overwhelmed by the hype of that movie when it came out. So. Well, that's another movie for another time. I'm sure we'll cover it at some point. His on heart podcast. will go on. Uh, I'm dreading that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, I want to thank Andrew for coming on. And uh, if if you have any general shows that you're involved with, you know, I don't know when this is will be released for your listening ears. But on February 15th and 16th. At 9.30 at the Nest, I am featured in Lovesick, mm. Stories and Letters from Relationships. Nice. Oh, so fantastic. you should come to that. Definitely. Yeah, and I'm at shows at the Nest um, once a weekend. So if you come to the Nest, you might see me. And I do a show, Apocalypse, once a month at Cafe Kerouac, the second Friday of each month, if you're in Columbus. Uh, if you're not, don't worry about it. <laughs> And uh, com- continue to follow, uh, unless, Tony, you have anything else to... I have nothing in the pipeline except to rewatch Basic Instinct. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What kind of popcorn are you eating with it? Oh, you know, reduced fat. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's safe. <laughs> Aldi brand popcorn. Uh, a safe choice for a lurid movie. <laughs> um, I just want to say thank you for everyone for listening to the, the podcast. Mm-hmm. And you can follow Cinema Wheeler Tay on... Podbean and iTunes, and also check out our uh, social media pages on Facebook and Twitter. We always uh, produce content beyond just the podcast. Yeah, we love film related, like mm-hmm. polls and and you know. We'd uh, love tributes. to have your input, <laughs> and yeah, and things like that. So uh, thank you very much, everybody, for listening, and we'll uh, see you next time. All right, bye. Thanks, guys, take care. I think she's the fuck of the century. You were right. It was the fuck of the century. Shooter. Thought it was cocaine. High quality, high content. He inhaled it. There were minute quantities on his lips and penis. A civic-minded, very respectable rock and roll star.